Hi, welcome to another episode of Cracking Addiction. My name is Philippe Noren, and I'm an addiction medicine advanced trainee and GP. And I'm joined as always by Dr. Fergal Armstrong, a GP, addiction medicine and lifestyle medicine specialist. Fergal, good to have you and your expertise on another episode. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to the chat. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about continuation of the previous episodes. And what we're talking about today is Alcoholics Anonymous and Smart Recovery. We've talked about anti-craving medications and the importance of anti-craving medications. But as we've said in many episodes before this, we're looking for solutions that are not tablet-based for problems that are not tablet-based. And none of the anti-craving medications will work by and of themselves without psychosocial interventions such as behavioural interventions, which is what Alcoholics Anonymous and Smart Recovery are. So I thought we'd start off with Alcoholics Anonymous, a bit like McDonald's, everyone's heard of it, not everyone knows how it works or, or what it does, but Alcoholics Anonymous has been around since 1935. It was founded in America by Bill W. and Dr. Bob, and in the last 86 years has built itself up as one of the preeminent uh, interventions for people struggling with alcohol use disorder and it's got quite a bit around it but basically it's founded along the 12 steps and the 12 principles and the underlying themes are those of spirituality self-awareness and powerlessness and it's it's a peer group led organization it's quite decentralized and has quite a good robust evidence base is that a good summary, Fergal, of Alcoholics Anonymous? Absolutely. And, you know, you, everything that you've said is right. There's a couple of things to highlight. Um, you know, the fact that it is decentralized, I think, provides it with this success. Because if it was centralized, it would just end up being, you know, another, another cult effectively. Yeah. But because it is decentralized, I think it, it is able to flourish in multiple different environments and suit the needs of multiple different types of people while still following and adhering to the, the 12 steps. So we know that, you know, if you don't like the term Alcoholics Anonymous, you can refer to it as a 12-step program. And, and we know that there is a significant evidence base for 12-step programs. You know, there was a Cochrane review that demonstrated that adherence to a 12-step program was better than CBT for, for, for relapse prevention in the context of alcohol use disorder. But before we launch into you know, the nitty gritty of what alcohol uh, AA is and what the 12 steps are, I just want to make the point that there, there are no lone rangers in recovery. You cannot do this on your own. You, the tablets won't work on their own and you and the tablets won't work on their own you need to be part of a, of a peer group or a therapeutic community because A, it gives you personal accountability to others and helps you maintain your goal. And in this context, the goal is abstinence. And B, it allows you, to, it teaches you social networking skills, which then allows you to thrive in life. Because remember, the fundamental point about why we descended into alcohol use disorders, basically we weren't coping with life. So how can, you, how can you expect to not have an alcohol use disorder without learning the tools to actually cope with life? So, you know, th th that's how I conceptualize the, ne the necessity of skills training, relapse, re relapse prevention training, peer support, 
in the context of recovery. That's a great bit of information there, Fergal. And as you mentioned, the peer-led recovery, the peer support, finding a like-minded group of people to assist you on your journey towards abstinence and relapse prevention is vital. And Alcoholics Anonymous also do recommend that at the start, their members attend 90 meetings in 90 days, which often means you have to attend a variety of groups because most meetings aren't held on every night of the week in, in each group. Yeah. And that, again, allows you to expand your, your social circle, your peer group, and find mm. like-minded individuals whose goal is to assist you, uh, not to mention the peer mentor program that Alcoholics Anonymous have. It's, so exactly. it's very much a new social structure and environment mm. for someone struggling with alcohol use disorder to um, manage their path towards sobriety. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we've all heard the phrase, it takes, it takes a village to raise a child, right? I, it takes a tribe to engage in recovery. So you need to find your tribe. And a common saying that people say when they're involved in Alcoholics Anonymous is that if you attend enough meetings, eventually you will hear what you need to hear and eventually you will find your tribe. And this speaks actually to... Um, to the, the diagnostic criteria of substance use disorder, where a loss of personal relationships is characteristic of alcohol use disorder, and therefore a regaining or a re-establishment of, of, of valid, validating relationships has got to be diagnostic of recovery. Absolutely. And as we've mentioned with Alcoholics Anonymous, it is a program that's been around for decades. There's been a lot of research on it. As you mentioned, Fergal, there was a recent Cochrane review that showed the efficacy of Alcoholics Anonymous as well as other 12-step programs in mm. their interventions and how successful they've been. But just like any intervention, not every program is for everyone. And sometimes some people chafe at the rigidity of the 12-step framework and the Alcoholics Anonymous program, and they might not really like the spiritual aspect of it. I must hasten to add that Alcoholics Anonymous is not a religious organization. It's not guided towards one particular religion over another. Alcoholics Anonymous makes reference to a higher power, but that higher power is a generic higher power. And it can be whatever you want, but some people can find the concept of a higher power uh, something like a bridge too far. But uh, we do hasten to add there are other options and we will be talking about smart recovery. But yeah. the purpose of mentioning Alcoholics Anonymous is that it is one of the most research and evidence-based interventions for alcohol abstinence. Yeah, just, just on that point about the higher power, I mean... It really just denotes the idea that you are powerlessness in, in the face of your addiction and that there is something else in the universe that, that needs to help you. But I know of a patient who referred to her higher power as a bottle of HP sauce, which is a kind of a, a condiment that are very, very, very prevalent in the United Kingdom. I'm not sure. Do we have HP sauce in Australia? We do have HP sauce. I've, I've used it. Houses of Parliament sauce. There you are. That's that was somebody's higher power, and you know that worked for her. And, and you know, I think if you start if you start enforcing religion into this, then it, the, the, the bubble bursts, and you know the utility disappears, and it, it, it becomes a completely different uh, entity. 
And we should also mention Alcoholics Anonymous is in pretty much every country in the world across many geographical areas and across many religious groups. So that just yeah. uh, emphasizes yeah. the fact that it is not uh, tied yeah. down to one denomination. So we've talked about the themes of what, what is AA, right? But do you know what the 12 steps are? I mean, can, can, can you discuss or, or tell us what those 12 steps are? I can tell you the themes related to the 12 steps, which mm -hmm. is basically those of powerlessness, self-awareness, and surrendering to the higher power. But off the top of my head, I don't know if I could list each of the 12 steps or the 12 principles down for you. So if we can go through the 12 steps, Step one is we admit that we're powerless. Step two is that we've come to believe that there is something greater than us. Step three is uh, making a decision to turn our will or our lives over to God. So that's where we, you know, we have the spirituality element. But that's basically a surrender. Um, step four is making a search of our moral inventory. Step five is uh, admitting to God and to ourselves the exact nature of our wrongs. Step six is uh, we are entirely ready to have God remove all of the defects of our character. So again, we're in a reference to the higher power. Uh, step seven, we humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Step eight, we make a list of all people we have harmed and uh, all for whom we have become willing to make amends. Step nine is we make direct amends to such people wherever possible. Step 10 is we continue to make a personal inventory of how we're getting on. Step 11, through prayer and meditation, we improve our conscious contact with God. And 12, step eight, uh, we have a spiritual awakening and we uh, teach others. So there is a lot of God there, but it, doesn't ha it, it, it's, it can be your God, it can be your higher power. But that's where the spirituality element comes through. Absolutely. And there's also a lot of self-awareness in those steps and reaching mm. into your soul and looking at your behaviors and yeah. trying to implement change. So there's a lot of real change behavior in those steps, which is why they're so fundamental to yeah. the program and to its success. And talking to people who have engaged in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, they, some of them say to me, well, look, you know, some of the meetings, all they do is talk about how bad people are. You know, and this, you stand up and you say, I'm, my name's X, Y, and Z, and I'm an alcoholic, and this is my story and how awful it is. But that's not the only side of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, there is the recovery side where there is the sponsorship where, whereby you get taken under the wing of someone who's more, um, more advanced in, in, in the 12 steps than you are. And you can... Um, you can be taught out, out of those meetings. You can engage in peer support out with those meetings if you want. Great. Now, moving on to one of the other common programs that we refer our patients to, and that is SMART Recovery. So SMART Recovery is um, self-management and recovery training. It's a CBT and motivational interview-based program, usually uh, a weekly program of 90 minutes led by a trained peer or AOD clinician. And it focuses, instead of in the past, which um, some critics of Alcoholics Anonymous say Alcoholics Anonymous is rooted in the past, uh, Smart Recovery is more about the present and the future. And it uses CBT and motivational interviewing techniques to set group members 
specific tasks and goals going into the forward, usually on certain timeframes. And like AA, quite extensively researched and has a very good and robust evidence base. Uh, do you have anything to add there, Fergal, about smart recovery? Yeah, I, I think that patients should experiment with both types of peer support. And as you say, smart recovery has got no focus on spirituality. It's very pragmatic. It's nuts and bolts. Uh, and it's very much, you know, uh, basically learning the techniques to remain abstinent for the next week. You know, so it's understanding urges. It's, it's, it's understanding self-motivation, problem-solving, and it's also about putting balance into your life. These are the principles that, that smart recovery um, teaches us. And again, there's a very good there's a very good evidence base for efficacy in that. Uh, and overall, both of these programs are very cost effective in terms of 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 the the number of people that they help achieve abstinence for. Absolutely. Now, both of these programs are free for the consumer, so that is excellent. But do you have uh, anything you tell patients with regards to? which one they should try or do you suggest they choose one and then move to another or is there a particular way you broach this with your patients? Look, I, I think because AA is so well known, I always broach the subject of AA and I think I then gauge the patient's reaction and I get two, three kinds of reactions. Reaction number one, uh, I'm, I'm a lone ranger and we'll talk about what that means in a second. Reaction number two, uh, okay. Reaction number three: the, I'm not. I'm not a God-fearing person, right? So, I'm the, the the lone ranger response I get. I sometimes hear people say, "Look, you know, I, I don't want to uh, engage with other people. I'm different. I'm special. My suffering is unique. I'm unique. Therefore, no one else can truly understand what I'm going through. Therefore, there's no point in engaging in peer support. And I'm just going to take the pills. Thank you very much, and off I go." That brings, it, that brings its own unique set of problems. The next group of people will say, oh yeah, I'll give it a go. And they, they always seem to mention the fact that they're aware of it and there is, they are aware of the spiritual element to it. And they, they, you know, they probably in the contemplative phase. And then there's the third group of people who react by saying, oh no, I can't do God. And that's when I will say, oh, well, have you heard, heard of smart recovery? And then down the line, if, you know, when, when people are engaging in processes, you know, I will say, well, have you heard of smart recovery? I will always introduce it as, a, as an alternative option. And, and over time, I actually recommend people do both if they can manage to accommodate the spirituality, the introspection of, of, of AA with the motivational interviewing and behavioral techniques of, of um, smart recovery. Excellent. That's very similar to my approach. I usually give my patients a spiel about both um, of the programs. I've got to admit most of the patients do tend to go towards AA just because it's so well known and they often know someone who's been in the program and they have an in to a, into a group. But I haven't noticed clinically too much significant difference between the two programs. I think the main thing is commitment to one of the programs and commitment to the paradigms and the teachings and attending group classes and maintaining that peer and social network. And I think that is paramount to the uh, optimizing of uh, a patient's chances for recovery. I think there's a lot of 
there's a lot of self-loathing that goes on when you're trying to recover from substances. And, you know, I, I think that people need to understand that if you fail, if you fall off the wagon, people in AA, people in smart recovery are not going to judge you. Yeah, so there is, there is unconditional affection for, for all of us, you know, the, the, and you're not going to be judged. You will simply be encouraged to dust off the dust, the, the, the dust off your pants, get back on the horse and get back, you know, back into abstinence or sobriety. And failure is and relapse is part of the condition of alcohol use disorder. And I think it's important for people to understand that. And it's a really difficult thing to I struggle sometimes when I when I when I'm seeing people and they, they've just they've had their first detox and you've given them the script for naltrexone or a campersate or both, and they've attended their first couple of meetings and they're on this high. I'm I'm off it. I've escaped. And at the back of your mind, you're thinking, "Well, it's early days yet. Let's just see." So how do you deal with that issue? Do you tell them, "Well, actually, you know, you're going to need, you're going to fail." And when you fail, just you know, don't worry about it because we'll all forgive you. Or do you say, "Oh, great! This is this is it. You're never going to fail again." How do you manage that? I try and be pragmatic about things. If someone's on a high, I don't feel it's my job to bring them down. Uh, so I try and encourage people while they're very motivated to try and do as many interventions as they can. But usually, prior yeah. to any of this, say even prior to withdrawal management or detox, I have a chat to patients about the natural course of alcohol use disorder and what to expect, yeah. and the fact basically that uh, I am there for them and the program is there for them and their supports are there for them. You've mentioned stigma and shame and patients feeling really upset when they lapse or relapse and that no one will speak to them again or engage with them or will they need to find another doctor. I try and make it very clear what the path of alcohol use disorder is. It's a chronic relapsing remitting disease and as part of any disease process, just because there's one aspect of the disease process that recurs that we're not happy with, it doesn't mean that we give up on the patient or that we stop the treatment uh, at all. So uh, if someone's, to, to answer your question, I guess I'm trying to say if they're really high mm -hmm. after completing withdrawal management and on uh, anti-craving right. medication, I try and maintain it, but uh, I don't try and uh, bring them down too much. Okay, and I think you know that that concept of unconditional affection is goes hand in hand with a lack of judgment. You know, we do not judge. I don't judge. I know you don't judge our patients. You know, we don't judge these people. They are weak and they are vulnerable, but so too are we. And there, but for the grace of God, go us all. Go, go, we all. You know, the, the difference between someone with an alcohol use disorder and someone without is, I think, rooted in resilience which is rooted in childhood experiences over which we as adults have no control. So I think empathy uh, and a, a non-judgmental approach is key to all of this. And it pervades the psychosocial interventions that are, found, that are available to people who are in, engaging in recovery. Now, I think, you know, it's not just about AA and um, uh, smart recovery, you know, there are other elements to the, the psychosocial context of recovery, things like AOD counseling and, and psychology, and especially focused at dealing with the psychiatric or psychological comorbidities. What would you say to, to, to that statement, Philippe? 100% agree with that statement. 
It's really important that we use multiple approaches to approach a complex problem. It's a bit like diabetes or heart disease or any one of these uh, chronic diseases of great complexity. We don't just try one intervention. A lot of the time we're trying multiple different interventions. Mm. And as you mentioned, um, AA, smart recovery are one part of it, but you do need that team-based approach to assist with the management of um, alcohol use disorder. Mm. What comorbidities do you see in alcohol use disorder that would merit referral to psychology or, or psychological input? The main comorbidity I'd be concerned about is um, significant depression, anxiety, complex trauma, PTSD, yeah. um, sometimes some of the personality disorders like borderline personality disorder. So mm. things that require probably a step above general practice intervention and as general practitioners, we're well equipped to treat mental health illnesses and disorders. But if I feel this is outside my skill set or window, I have no shame in asking for help or assistance because at the end of the day, all of us are there for the best service of our patients. Yeah, yeah. So, there, so again, this highlights the point that recovery from alcohol use disorder isn't an isolated event. There's always a context, and that context usually involves suffering on many levels. Uh, you know, and it could be you know both physical issues and more likely uh, mental health issues that need addressing. And, and it's always useful to think of the, the care of someone in this context as requiring a, the, the, the kind of pyramid of care where family supports the foundation, peer supports the foundation, then you've got the primary care clinicians, and then you've got secondary care. So it's always advisable to have patients linked into some kind of secondary care support. Would you agree, Philippe? Absolutely, Fergal. Um... Yeah. That comprehensive care is vital for, for all our patients. And I think on that note, I it's a perfect time to, to wrap up this episode of uh, relapse prevention and the psychosocial interventions that we can use for our patients with alcohol use disorder. Thanks again for your company on Cracking Addiction and bye for now. <laughs>